the other night our apologetics class met and uh, we got to talking about uh, reasons to believe the Bible is true. And I mentioned a book called Unearthing the Bible. So I wanted to go back to that. I've done a podcast on it before. I want to kind of work my way through parts of it here. And I'm not doing every single page, but just some different parts that I hadn't covered before. And one is uh, Israel and Canaan. Do we have any reason to believe that the Jews were in Canaan? Uh, the time period roughly that we hear of in Judges, the book of Joshua and Judges. So what they've uncovered uh, is something called the Merneptah Stele. It's a big Egyptian stone monument, about 10 feet uh, tall, just a big, big guy. And it is talking about military campaigns of a pharaoh, Merneptah, against Libya and Canaan in the late 13th century B.C., Okay, so he's up on the top of this uh, stone and seen with some Egyptian gods and, you know, big deal. But he, this is what it says in there. Canaan has been plundered into every sort of woe. Ashkelon has been overcome. Gezer has been captured. Yanoam is made non-existent. And then listen to this line. Israel is laid waste and its seed, which might mean grain, they say, is not. So... This appears to be, and this is what uh, all sorts of archaeologists are acknowledging, this is probably the first time, the, the earliest inscription that we have that mentions the name Israel. So it's talking about the, the children of Israel. So it, it demonstrates that the Israelis were so well known, they were such a dominant group that the Pharaoh boasted about them in the late 13th century BC, and they'd been present for some time to become that well known. And if they began to settle in the land of Canaan around 1400 B.C., and that's what the books of Joshua and Judges seem to describe, then by the time of Merneptah, uh, maybe 12-something B.C., 1200 B.C., they would have been the main occupants of the land. That's just what the stele indicates. And uh, the author, which is Titus Kennedy, wrote the book. He gives us a quote here from Judges 1, 28 and 29. So... There you go. There's something that's from uh, the Egyptians themselves boasting about what a big deal the Jews were during this time period that he came in and was able to conquer them. So that seems to correlate very well with what the Bible said as far as when the Jews were in the land. Here's one that knocked me out. It's, uh, it's called the Goliath Ostracon. It's a little piece of, of pottery from about the 10th or 9th century B.C., and people were doing some excavations at the ancient Philistine city of Gath. Does that name sound familiar? Okay, it says the uh, inscription has two names, or maybe a name and a word. And the first name appears to be a form of the word Goliath, although it said some scholars uh, differ on the exact interpretation. And it says in ancient cultures of this time period, the greatest warriors uh, and the heroes of the opposing army would do a one-on-one -on -one fight like the Iliad and uh, you know you base your whole army's victory or defeat on how your hero did and so it says these duels were fought to show superiority and then you know to uh, our side is right and our God is the right God and so it said uh, David of course fighting Goliath brought this out as well and uh, it says it panicked the Philistines and sent them into retreat and that's first Samuel 17 that references that. Now, what I found fascinating, of course, is just the fact that they've come across with something saying um, Goliath and in the area of Gath that he was described as coming from. 
So I think that was interesting material itself about Goliath and uh, this little piece of pottery coming from the area where Goliath himself was uh, said to come from. But beyond that, there's a footnote here that I found fascinating. It says a lot of Bible translations um, do give the height of Goliath as six cubits and a span. Okay, so that's nine foot nine. That's just enormous. That's hard to believe. But it said um, the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Septuagint, which are older than the Masoretic text, say have a different height for Goliath. They have it as four cubits and a span, which would be six foot nine. And it says that shorter height would still be considered taller than the average man, meaning Goliath still would have towered over David. So a height for Goliath just under seven feet seems to be, they said, in agreement with archaeological findings for the tallest known skeletal remains that they found in that area in ancient times. So I'm just saying there may be another way to, to render the height of Goliath. It may not be nine foot nine. It might be six foot nine. Uh, because of what some of the other uh, ancient texts have said. So that that makes more sense to me. All right, how about, uh, let's pick another one here that I think is interesting. The Royal House of David. This is the Tel Dan Stele, T-E-L, Tel Dan, D-A-N. And uh, they said some scholars at one time were claiming that David was just a fictitious king. They didn't have any evidence of him being king or even uh, being uh, around at all. But they uncovered in the ancient city of Dan in 1993 uh, victory stele and uh, probably erected to the entrance to the city. And it has uh, talks about victories and all, and it mentions several kings' names and things like that. But it says, in the context of these kings of Israel and Judah, on one line of the stele, it says, the house of David. And it's noted as the original ruling house of the Israelite kingdom. So after analysis, when people really took a look at it, it was it's now decided it's the earliest known reference to King David, the Israelite monarch. It was carved into basalt and placed at Dan by Arameans after they'd conquered the Israelites around 870 BC. So that word, that phrase, House of David, of course it's in the Bible, but it says that's really significant because it seems to say that he really lived and he really was king of Israel, which had been disputed by a lot of scholars before they found this stele. All right, so that's uh, the royal house of David being mentioned. Let's do another one here. I'm going to do four or five more maybe. There's a pharaoh named Shishak, and they've uncovered something, a victory stele, another piece of uh, stone, and it's a victory, of course, the bragging of all the pharaohs. In this case, it says... According to Egyptian records and a list of cities there that this pharaoh, who actually was known not just as Shishak, had another name, Shoshank. Okay, Shoshank. Okay, so according to this, he campaigned against Israel and Judah around 925 B.C. And specifically in this stele, they mentioned Megiddo and some other cities of Israel and Judah like Tanakh, Beth Shean, Rehob, Arad, and some others as well. And so what's fascinating to me about this is it is talking about a whole lot of money that got spent during the Pharaoh's time. And they said probably what they did is they came in and just you know stripped the land of a lot of wealth, uh, the Israel, uh, Israelites' land, and took it back with them. So you've got Shishak, 
or Shoshank and uh, some of his boasts about what he did in the 10th century BC that ties in very well with the Bible. Let's do a couple of more ones. Oh, how about King Jeroboam? They found a seal, and it has the Hebrew inscription belonging to Shema, servant of Jeroboam, and they excavated at Megiddo and said uh, the seal is probably from the 10th century B.C. in the reign of King Jeroboam I. He's the one that became king about 930 B.C. He had rebelled uh, against Solomon, fled to Egypt, and then he returned after Rehoboam was crowned, and then he got made king by the northern tribes. So he was the first king of the northern kingdom of Israel. So there we go. We've got a seal of him, seal of Jeroboam. Let's do another one here. How about Mesha of Moab, M-E-S-H-A, Mesha of Moab. So we've got a stele, sometimes called the Moabite stone. And it's one of the longest known in the Moabite language. And it tells about, guess what, another victory. This time, somebody named Mesha, who uh, had a victory over Israel and Judah. And he rebelled against them and refused to continue paying tribute. And in the text, we, we get Omri, named king of Israel, and uh, so we get Mesha being named as a king of Moab, the tribe of Gad, locations of some towns, Shemosh, the chief god of Moab, uh, the rebellion of Moab. And it says he even seems to have an early reference to the house of David. So this is the 9th century B.C. Uh, translation reveals the Moabite perspective on a conflict is also in the book of Kings. So you can find that as well there. We have uh, Elisha on a piece of, par- of pottery, an ancient Hebrew ostracon. That's just a chunk of pottery. And it says, belonging to Elisha. Wow. It was discovered in a 9th century B.C. house during some excavations they made. And it's written in an archaic Hebrew script. So it's somebody marking property. And it says it does at least attest to the name Elisha in the 9th century in the general area where Elisha was born and lived. Now, is it the Elisha of the Bible? I don't know. But just the fact that the name is there and it's in the the correct time period is fascinating to me. I use that word fascinating a lot, but I guess I love history. This is amazing. How about a stele of Shalmaneser, who was the uh, king of Assyria? He ruled in the 800s B.C. And they have a stele, another uh, stone monument dedicated to all the wonderful things he did in his battles. And it recounts a battle that occurred about 853 B.C. And it mentions Ahab the Israelite. And it talks about his thousands of chariots and soldiers, etc., etc. And uh, so it demonstrated that Ahab was pretty powerful and he used chariots in battle. And that particular event, I guess, is not in the Bible, but it said it does indicate Ahab was a wealthy and powerful king. And he got in a lot of chariot battles while he was the ruler of that time period. Is Jezebel mentioned anywhere? Well, actually, yes. Uh, They have a stone seal with the name Jezebel. Isn't that interesting? It bears the inscription belonging to Jezebel. By the way, the name Jezebel, they said, means where is Baal? And seems to have been reserved only for royalty. So it matches the 9th century B.C., the way it's written. And it said it's odd that it would be mentioning a woman. That was so rare. And the name Jezebel in the time of ancient Israel is only known in association with the Phoenician princess of Sidon, the one that married Ahab. So it said uh, 
analysis of this seal is authenticated as a genuine Phoenician artifact. So identifying the seal with Queen Jezebel is plausible and probably the only viable option, they said. See, are you as amazed as I am that there are this many references to things outside the Bible that seem to give the Old Testament validity? Let's do uh, maybe one or two more. King Jehu and the Assyrians. So about 825 B.C., notice I'm moving this up as we get closer and closer to the time of Jesus. Near the end of his reign, Shalmaneser, he's the Syrian king, he put up an obelisk carved from black limestone. It's called the Black Obelisk of Shalmaneser III, and it talks about 31 years of his military campaigns. And on one of the panels, he appears on the left side, the king, and he's got a parasol, and then there's a king, Jehu, of Israel, bowing down with his face near the ground. So look what he's done. He's forced Jehu down. So this is the earliest known image. This is an image. This is not writing. It's an image of an Israel-like king. And it does confirm Jehu was a king of Israel in the ninth century. And it's one of four different inscriptions that mention Jehu. And that ties into 2 Kings 9. Okay, maybe we'll do, should I do one more? Oh yeah, why not? Isaiah the prophet's seal. Really? They found a what's called a clay bulla. It's made from a stamped impression of a signet ring that they dug up in the area of Jerusalem. It appears to refer to Isaiah. It says it's only a, just a small thing, but it has the name Isaiah, and it seems to have the word prophet in an archaic Hebrew script that was used during this time period. And it says, although it's partially broken, most of the letters are preserved, and it seems to say, belonging to Isaiah the prophet. Isn't that something? It says, if it is, that'd be the first contemporary archaeological evidence yet discovered for Isaiah the prophet. So I'll stop at this point, but this book is, is powerful. It's really interesting. It does move into the New Testament. I gave you some Old Testament things here. <clears throat> he has a follow-up book, too, that talks about uh, Jesus and more archaeological discovery. So there are amazing things that are found uh, through these cities and these uh, countries in the Middle East that give uh, validity to the Bible. Amazing things I'd never heard of. And, of course, we don't hear much about it from the press and all. It's not real eager to have, um, add validity to the Bible. Okay, well, I hope uh, that was interesting to you. I'm, I'm a nut about uh, history and archaeology, so thanks for putting up with that. All right, talk to you again soon.